0: Wow, just uh, think about the fact that uh, the Father sent the Son, and the Son sends us. Uh, (laughs) No greater privilege in the world than to be sent by the very Son of God, the one who uh, holds all things. I mean, uh, there's no greater commission that a person could ever have in their life than to be sent by the very Son of God. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, my heart has been cheered. Uh, I, my heart was cheered when I saw my pastor for many years, Jerry Long, and his wife sitting up there. It was uh, great. They, they uh, Jerry actually was at the going-home service for my father, spoke my earthly father, and uh, so uh, I have great ties here. Alan and I sat beside each other in New Testament years ago when we were Uh, Little puppies there trying to figure out what in the world Curtis Vaughn was teaching us and and still are trying to quite get a grasp of everything that he taught us in those days. And uh, he and Ruth have been great friends for years. Uh, Just looking around, uh, uh, this church has been special to me in in a number of ways over the years. Uh, My missionary aunt and uncle, Harold and Martha Lewis, long-term members of this church, and um, I think my dad and mom counted them as some of their closest uh, friends over the years. I remember visiting them many times when they lived in Trinidad and then in Suriname uh, over the years as I grew up in that part of the world as well. Um, My wife and I are from just down the road, actually, in a little town called Landrum. Uh, her dad was the pastor there for many years, and I was a little pesky missionary kid that showed up every now and again, and occasionally uh, uh, she looked over at me and wondered what kind of goofy person I was, and eventually she got some different eyes for me and, and, uh, and saw that I had some potential that she could work on over the years, and uh, there I have. Uh, Greenville County is a, a special place in my heart. My wife was teaching in New Prospect in uh, Spartanburg County, and I got my first job when I left Furman uh, at the courthouse downtown as a probation officer here in uh, Greenville County. And so we lived in Greer on the line, so she could go one way and I could go the other way. And and so uh, our first couple of years of uh, married life and uh, and our son was born over at uh, in Greer at the hospital there. And so tons of stuff, reasons why it is sweet to be here with you this morning. Uh, thank you for that. One of the things I want to thank you for, too, as well, is you're in the top 5% of all Southern Baptist churches in supporting international missions. Uh, we still have a great Savior who has brought us together in in a shared responsibility uh, to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And you have been faithful year in and year out, and I am praying for God to just bless you as you continue to grow in that faithfulness in the years ahead and, and make such a difference in, in seeing that uh, the Lord is able to continue to use us to send more and more peoples to the ends of the earth. Uh, it, it is a great, great privilege to serve the Lord in our day. Uh, it is a great privilege because unlike the apostles uh, that we read about, The Lord chose me and you to live in the century when more people will live than in any other century in the history of mankind. 24.8 billion people are projected to live in this century. When I was born, the last two weeks of 1955, there was less than 3 billion people on this planet. About 2.9. 3 billion didn't happen until... The early 1960s. Now there's 7.5. Now, these are big numbers, but they also are a big number about all the people who are actually all made in the very image of God, as marred by sin as we all are, but a Savior who has said to you and me, to each of us, I. I, I I chose you to live in this century so that you might be part of the greatest harvest in all of human history, in all of salvation history. You know, in the fall, uh, weekends are a big thing in America. I lived outside of America for a long time, and it, you know, our weekends were Friday and Saturday. Uh, we lived in the Muslim world for, for most of our adult life, and so sa- Sundays were... Uh, very different where we work, because as the day everybody went back to work and school, and uh, so it was quite different. Um, so when we came back to America, we were going, ooh. So all of a sudden we realized that uh, weekends are a big thing. And uh, as we drove down here, we saw all sorts of people who were flying flags of different kinds of things that were representing a, a big weekend. But today I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about the single most important weekend in human history. I, I want us to spend just a few minutes reflecting on that single most important weekend in all of human history. Uh, and I want to be, uh, so to speak, uh, in the locker room where it's all beginning. So if you have your Bible, I'd ask that you turn to John chapter 17 to start with. In, in that moment, there is a prayer. Uh, it is similarly, it is one of the most important prayers that you can ever spend time reflecting on. Uh, for you to spend time knowing and and, and getting a hold of, because uh, this prayer talks about why there's not going to be any graveyards in heaven. I mean, just think about that for a second. Um, I, I, I lived in the Middle East. I buried fellow workers sent out by you. Um, assassinated, some others, in other ways. I've seen thousands of people uh, right now in some of the places that uh, I lived and loved. You know, people are on the edge of starvation, seven million in Yemen. Um, I have a daughter and a son-in-law living right on the edge of Syria. Um, I have a lot of pain in my heart because this day is the last day for 550,252 people, and they will enter a Christless eternity. So, in two days, all of Spartanburg County, the equivalent of Spartanburg County, will be gone. In three and a half days, all of Greenville County will be gone into a Christless eternity. That's one of the brutal facts about the world in which we live. It's a brutal fact that you say, well, that's just a little bit abstract for me. But you know, um, as we come to this this day, uh, I, I want us to talk about the mission. The mission that our Lord gives us, you know? Here am I, Savior send me. Uh, The Father, God himself, the one who gives us our very next breath in whom we live and move and do not have being without him, has said he sent him. And then for everyone who has entrusted their life to Christ, Jesus said, and so send I you. And so when we stand in, in that final day, when we look at him face to face, and sure as each one of us sit here, we will come before him by grace, we will be saved. But if we are very clear about understanding uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, each one of us will also have an accounting as to the way that we walked with the Lord and just... As we begin to think, you remember what our Lord said about those who were given ten talents and how he said, enter into the joy of your Lord. And then you remember the one that buried the talent? He takes the opportunities, the privileges, the the magnificent things he gives us, and he requires from us a stewardship of what he's given us. Uh, We are not without responsibility yes the privilege of being saved is free but with that privilege comes a responsibility and then there is mutual accountability between all of us as we seek to be about that so join me as we look at this time when our lord prays we all know uh, the lord's prayer from uh, matthew 6 or We find over in Luke as well, Luke 11. But this is not that. This is when the one who, as as our brother was telling us, was made flesh, God in flesh, is speaking to God, the Trinity, the one of whom he is the same essence and doing it in a way that we can also hear their conversation. So this is in the very heart of any information that you might ever want to know, including the cure of cancer. This is just as important because this is about the cure of death. So right there in the very beginning, what does he say? Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life. Wait, what's that? What, What does eternal life mean? It means you don't die. You live to all whom He has given. And this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That... you. You know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. Right there at the very heart of this, this is, this is the message. This is, this, is, this is what the mission is about. This is why this mission is important. That, that we have a way to know the only true God in in our world, right, at this moment, we have many gods. And who is a god? The one that we give honor and praise and give our lives to. That becomes our god. There are so many idols in our world, and we as Americans are not exempt from having idols. We have many idols. Uh, and those idols are not true This is the only true God. And and as we sit there and we let this sink into our minds and all the things that clutter and push on us, we must let that truth suddenly sink in. You know, we cannot know this God by just looking at the world around us. There is only one way to know this God, and that is that he has made himself accessible in this book. He has given us a record. He has shown us how that who he is and what he has done for us. And and for most of the world that is still inaccessible, they cannot deduce that God is Jesus and that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. They have no way for salvation. You and I have many things that compete for our minds and our hearts, but we must know that eternal life comes from what? knowing the only true God and Jesus who... Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the God in flesh. As the writer of Hebrews said, the exact representation of God in flesh, the God-man who came to provide us salvation. And it is important. This is good news. When, when we think about it, I mean, I have sat by many uh, a hospital bed... I, And I've sat with people who know that they know and they walk through that last moment. It is different. I had the privilege on April the 10th, just a few miles away from here of this year, to, to sit with my mother as she took her last few days of breathing and as she entered into the Lord's presence face to face. It was glorious. I told my mom, I said, hey, mom, what, what's going on? She said, son, uh, I know you'll miss me, but you got a lot of work to do, so be busy. I'll see you later. I mean, that, that the, a confident woman looking at, at death, and Jerry, you and Lynn, you, you know that lady. Uh, she did not fear death because she knew the only true God. Uh, but in my mind, as I think about this, good news is only good news if it gets there in time. Uh, my wife and I moved to Northern Africa, um, coming up on, about 28 years ago, 26 years ago, I can't remember, 26 or 28, uh, 1993, um, <laughs> do the math, uh, and when we moved there, there was only eight believers in the whole country that we went to, eight people who were of that country who called themselves. 10 million people lived in that country, and we knew eight believers. Um, we had a, a landlord. Uh, he lived in France part of the time, and uh, he would come there. His name is Monsieur Briqui is what we called him. and. And, and Monsieur Bricky was friends with me a little bit. He would be gone and coming. And, and in, in our, it was at the middle of our, our second year in that country. Uh, I was still in the formative uh, days of learning to speak Arabic. I, I get a message. It was a summer's afternoon and our morning. I get a message that uh, Monsieur Bricky wants me to come to his house. And so I made my way across the city. It took a little while and I got there and I realized it was a funeral. And people were gathered around, and and, and I walked in uh, to that funeral. It was a Muslim funeral, obviously, but I, I noticed that my friend, my landlord, was standing out by himself. Um, and they brought me up to stand with him, and people would come. And in the Arabic, they would say "haram alik," and I was, "What? I know what that means. That's not a comforting thing. Uh, it's forbidden. Uh, the forbidden is upon you." I mean, it sounded like a curse to me, and, and I kept wondering. And then, and then all of a sudden, I started putting pieces together that his daughter had committed suicide, a young, young lady, um, hopeless. Nadia was her name and we sat there through the afternoon and people would come and he would, he he grabbed hold of me, wouldn't let me move away from him uh, as again and again, coming, again, coming, again, coming again. No hope. And, And my mind was just shattered when as they picked her body up to carry her to be buried and they were walking down, their mother, her mother and her sisters were screaming, "Nadia, Nadia, Nadia, Nadia!" And as I walked with them to the funeral site, I realized I was too late. The gospel had not arrived in time, and I was going to the funeral of one whose destiny was to be without Christ forever, and what do we know life is is to know? Christ, a Christless eternity, a Christless eternity that does not end. And today, 155,252 people enter into a Christless eternity. Brothers and sisters, there is no greater crisis in the world than that. And the gospel must arrive to those who haven't heard because they're no different than us. We did not deserve to know the gospel. We did not deserve to have the mercy of God upon us. Neither do they. But God granted that mercy to us and asked us to go forward. Uh, I remember just the exact opposite of something that happened uh, on the edge of of Syria. I was just a few years ago uh, standing right there. The war was raging uh, we were in. There's a little finger apart there in the in the mountains that come right into the edge, and and I was sitting with a couple of other brothers, and, and this covered woman comes up with her husband, and she starts engaging us with a conversation, and and pretty soon uh, one of the, the 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 conversation went to say, so why do you not say peace be upon our prophet, or even upon your prophet? And we said, oh well, you know we cannot say peace be upon Jesus. Why? Well, because he is the source of peace. He is the prince of peace. There is no peace except peace that he gives. Without him, there can be no peace. We cannot give the one who is the giver of peace peace. We can say majesty. We can say glory. We can say honor. But we cannot give him what we do not have. And he does. She looked at us with eyes of like, what are you talking about? And then over the next hour and a half, we sat there talking back and forth with Fatida, and she came to know a Savior who had come to bring her salvation and her husband like her. Uh, over the course of the next while, she was discipled, and she she moved forward. But in her faith, and then one day she said, I, "I'm going back into Syria. Why? Uh, the war's been a bad thing, but without the war, I would not have known how to live forever. And, and, and I must take I must take this knowledge of eternal life, the gospel, the good news, back to those who have not heard before time runs out. Uh, you, you see, the gospel has to go to places. Jenny and I were in northern Ethiopia, and, and we were up in a place, and we went out to this little town called Debris outside of Makaleh. And as we went there, we were going with one of our workers, one of the people that you send, uh, and, uh, and she was taking us out to a group of deaf people. Uh, when she went into this village, she, she heard that there were a few deaf people there and she brought them and they were shunned. They had been put away in rooms and whatnot. And they had never even had the privilege of learning any signs. They they had been treated like they were worse than animals. And she had brought them together and began to share with them just how to express themselves in sign. And she began to teach them uh, the creation to Christ story that includes the fall and the redemption. On, on the day that we were there, Simone, he got up and, and I don't know if you remember the old flannel graphs. It was not electronic, but it was a flannel graph. He put up the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And, uh, and he talked about all of those things, and he went through the story all the way down to, to Lazarus wanting some of the crumbs and how the dogs licked his sores. And then uh, he looked around and said, who would retell this story? A I- I- covered Girl got up and she began to tell the story, but when she got to the point of the of the dogs, uh, is she she was speaking from her heart, and, and what I could hear was a, a young woman who looked like she was sixteen or seventeen that never had had the privilege of being better than a dog, and, and now for the first time she was realizing that God had a plan for her life and that she was was a child of God and could live her life there in that and that the rich man only was letting a few crumbs come off the table and you know in that moment I was convicted that I was the rich man because in my language and in my world over 140 different times in the last century the god's word has been translated into my language I can hear it on tape I can hear it in seminary I can hear it in churches I can hear it on the radio I can and sit on TV and I have so much knowledge of heaven and she had crumbs. The the time went on and we came towards the end and and Debbie said, who will pray? And a hearing father in the back said, my little daughter will pray. I remember this little girl gets up, her, her teeth were still saw edged. And she got up and Just like a little seven-year-old, she said, you know, Jesus, I'm taking the devil out. Stomping him, I like that. And I'm putting you in, and I love you. Jesus, I love you. And she goes on down through there, but the last words of her prayer are forever tattooed in my heart. Because she said, like the rich man, we not be. You see, the gospel got there, and she doesn't want to be like a rich man. Who doesn't continue to share? We have 350 deaf languages around the world, sign languages that need the gospel. At least 72 million deaf people around the world who in the history of mankind have never had a Bible. Uh, Next year, we will be uh, celebrating, I think in September, October is the planned time where the first complete deaf Bible will be done in English. Uh, but but that's just a, a sign of the fact that in the history of mankind, deaf people have never had a, a the, the the privilege, uh, the the unparalleled privilege, the, the the greatest truth, the unadulterated gospel that you and I have so much access to. This. Uh, Kingdom That God has given us is built on this good news that he is creating a, for himself a people who will live forever. And, and he's granted us this mission, you know, uh, mission impossible. You see mission. Everybody wants to be on a mission some way uh, and they are impossible missions. Uh, but, but you, 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 you want to hear what Jesus wants us to have in our mission with us. Uh, just listen uh, as, uh, as he's talking about, uh, I'm coming to you, and these are the things I speak in the world, that they may have what? My joy fulfilled in themselves. So when we take on the mission of God uh, and it, we have it, he wants his very joy to be filled in our lives. Now, uh, we see a lot of joy in any mission that takes a struggle. It, it's something. We, we love a game where people are on a mission to win. They put their whole heart in it, and they come from behind, and they win in last, last minute. And we have great joy in, in taking on difficult missions. They, they come on. What did Jesus uh, do in his mission? The writer of Hebrews tells us what? That we are to to follow Jesus, what it says there in verse 1 and 2, that we have a cloud of witnesses, but we are to lay aside every besetting sin, anything that would encumber you from running the race. Uh, whatever, whatever you say, I cannot give this up in order to follow Christ. Everything that's a besetting sin. That is something that holds you back. That's like having a huge weight on your shoulder and you're not being able to run the race. So it said, lay all those things aside, put your eyes on Jesus and run the race like him who for the joy, for the joy endured the cross endured the shame, and went to the cross. And now he has victory. And he's sitting beside the right hand of Father. So, the 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 joy that we have is not a joy that is that comes just because we're sitting there and saying, "Oh, this is fun," uh, because there is challenge to it. It is a joy that is far deeper than just some sort of incidental self gratification. It is being part of this great battle that that God has for the souls and the lives and the hearts of men and women around this world. I was just in northern India, northwestern India, and uh, was there. And, and this, this guy is actually a little older than me. Uh, Singh is his name. Singh means lion, and he was a little skinny guy. Wore a Sikh turban, but came to know the Lord and, uh, and as Singh was talking with me and sharing with me and uh, his daughter was the one who was right beside him, she, he couldn't read. But this brother listened to the Bible through every year. Every morning. First thing he gets up, says, I got to have the word in my ear. And, and they have developed it out so he can listen. So he listens to the Bible every day. He said, I can't go without my day without listening. And he has that. And in their church, uh, everybody listens. And they check up every week to see if you've listened to your portion of the Bible. They're, they're pretty, because they said, this is where you find life and this is where you go. But as this brother goes out, he goes out. To people again and again and again. We saw over 11,000 people baptized in his area this last year. Not just from him, but from the the people who come. But his heart was, I cannot see my people die without Jesus. I must go. I must go. I have to go. Uh, Amazing. He has a drive. He walks most places. Uh, And that's why he doesn't have to go to the gym. (laughs) He's a tough guy. Uh, He carries stuff out. He he goes to people and he says, Now I'm gonna let you listen to this Bible, but if you don't listen to it when I come back in a month, I want it back. And I want to give it to somebody who will listen. well, you don't have to do that he said yeah I do because you know if they're not taking the responsibility to listen in a month they won't ever so I'm going to give it to somebody who will listen uh it, it's it's amazing I was just on the border of in uh just a, few, a month or two ago uh in uh, between Venezuela and and uh, and Colombia Cucuta is the name of the place. You've probably seen it. Thousands of people streaming over. Why Russia and China prop up Maduro to keep those people in hunger and, and just devastation, I don't know. But God is, is, is sending his people on, on a mission for a revival. And I was standing there with a group of young, uh, Venezuelanos. And, and they were saying, We're going back into our place. They had spent the summer there reaching out to the people who had nothing, and you, through, uh, through the hunger relief funds that you send out through BGR and, and our people that you've sent down that way. You're helping us feed those people. Uh, some doctors were there when I was there. They were lancing this huge boil on this man's foot that he was—he got an infection as he was going. And they were sharing the gospel all over that place. But these young people said, yes, we know there's no human future in, in our country. But now people, they have, they are escuchar. They're listening to the gospel. We must go. This is the time when we can see in, in the church in Venezuela say double the number of believers, double the number of Baptist churches. We want to see Venezuela for Christ in the midst of a crisis. I was going, whoa, now that's courage, that's joy. Uh, and they went back in, and, and right now we're trying to double up our efforts as we're going and carrying the gospel to a people who are listening, who want the gospel. Uh, it's glorious as as God working, whether it's in India or in Venezuela, or, or, or in Utah, or in Taylor's. Uh, My only fear for those of us who've had the gospel so long, so long, is that we think of it as nothing. Lord, if I I have a little bit of time left over, Lord, I'll give you a little bit. Uh, What if he just gives you a little bit of breath? What if he just says, oh, You just want a little bit of me? Well, maybe I'll just take back some of me. Maybe I'll take back my goodness to you. Maybe I won't bless you. You you, you know, we just have had this huge study, and it's not just Southern Baptist. It's looking out. And again and again and again, persecution, the church grows. You know what we flunk? You know what we flunk? Prosperity. You can't give Christians a lot or they will walk away from God. Now, I think that can be reversed. We we can be a generation that says, Lord, you've given us a lot, but we're not going to think it's just because we're better than anybody that's ever lived in the history of mankind. We're going to do it because we think you have something great for us to accomplish with all that you have given us in this day and time. And we are removing the bars that we have in our life that says God I can't go with you any further than this you know in 10,000 years there's not going to be a question in our mind it's not going to be a question in our mind I, 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 I saw a movie you probably saw this movie how many of you seen Hacksaw Ridge uh, if you've seen Hacksaw Ridge, there is something about Desmond Doss in there that just got me because I want this same spirit. You know, he's climbed up there, and the hordes are coming, and they're fighting. And, and, you know, he he was a pacifist. He, he wouldn't go, but he didn't want somebody to fight the battle without, for his freedom without him contributing. But he got up there. He was on top of that hill, and all these people were being wounded and he uh, and, he was standing there, and there's a phrase and a passion. You know, he's letting stuff down. His hands are torn up. But he said, Lord, just one more soul. Let me have one more person. And he would go in and he would bring him out, and he would go in and he would bring him out. And may we have courage and passion like that. One more soul, Lord. May a soul matter to us, Lord. May may, may may the rescue of someone from eternal death, Christless eternity, be something that matters to us like that. You, you, you saw what happened when the troops were getting ready to go back and take that final hill. They would not go up with him without him because they said we will not go because we know. who his God is and we don't want to go unless he and his God are ready for us to take that hill there is no greatness in this world no greatness in this world that lasts except comes as a gift of almighty God greatness belongs to him and he bestows it as we give ourselves to him fact why will this work Don't you love this? You've sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Just come on down here, verse 18, if you mark this down. this This is for you. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And I, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. The truth. The truth is to know the only God and Jesus Christ. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one. That includes you. That includes you. Can you lose if Jesus has prayed for you? Who do you want as your prayer partner? I'm going to tell you, if you're choosing between Jesus and me, go with Jesus. Because when he speaks, the world comes into existence. We have not except by gift of him. And he has said, I will be with you. I've got a mission for you. I want you to invest. There's nobody too old to invest. We started a port project there in Southern France years ago. And I uh, just was there they there like at 10 million uh, Bibles and a bunch of other things that they've given out. But when we first began, a lady from Woodstock, Georgia came, Arlene. Uh, 82 years old. When we got there, I mean, I was going, really, 82? I'm going to have to babysit an 82-year-old? And I was going, man, you know how, I, this is days of VHS tapes. I mean, a lot of you guys don't even know what that is. He had a box of 30, you know, it's big and heavy. And we're giving out New Testaments and 60 of them, that's pretty heavy. But I was mistaken. God sent her for a purpose. She said, John, I haven't lived for the Lord the way I want. But you know what? I can give away food in Albertsons. That's where she worked in those days. I believe I can give these Bibles away. Well, in good Arabic, I was going "Hada, Hada you know, "Salam and Hada," da da da. You know, or here's a cadeau, say "gratuit" in French. People were turning me down left and right. This gray-haired 82-year-old lady hobbling along, she, she'd come and she'd smile at them and she'd say, This is grass tree. You can have it. She couldn't pronounce a word of French, but she'd smile at him. And you know, those people would bow and they would take the gifts from her and it it jacked her up. She kept coming back. We had a bunch of young folks in a a van, and she looked like she had a stroke in between places that we would go, but she'd come back to life. She'd press it out. She said, I'm going to see Jesus before you. I'm going to get out here and do my part. I want something to show him when I get there. And she would beat us to the place, and you know what? They would take from her. Well, they wouldn't take from us. My son, who who uh, is in a church in Marseille uh, last summer, had this young Tunisian lady come there, and he said, this girl got up and said, you know, um, my dad brought home a little green New Testament. Somebody gave him here in this port. He started reading it to us, and our hearts got warm. And you know what? Our family came to Christ. And she was there about 21 years old. She said, you know, I come from a Christian family now. It's, that's odd because I don't come from a... This, we're a first-generation Christian family. Nobody in our family has ever been Christians before. And she looked at those people in that little tiny congregation there in Marseille and said, don't quit sending the gospel. Our lives matter. What you do, how you send, where you send matters to people like me, because I would not hear unless you had found a way to fulfill my need for the gospel by bringing me the gospel. Father, thank you for our time together today. Lord, the evil one is a distractor. And he would want to put so many other things on our mind except the great good news of your glorious gospel and the power it has to bring life eternal to people that we would be overwhelmed with so many other things that that this would be not even on the back burner, but we would put it in the shelf and say, Lord, I'll bring it out when I need it. Lord, help us to put this on the front burners of our life. May this be part of what you want us to do. As senders, Lord, help us to send more people together. Lord, as goers, may we go, but Lord, may we never, ever, ever take for granted for the fact that you want us all on our knees day in and day out, beseeching you, the Lord of glory, to bring people to yourself. And so, Lord, we commit again to ask you to help us to pray and to pray without ceasing, interceding for the billions who have never heard and the billions who are walking into a Christless eternity, that they too might join us around the throne and that you might receive the glory and honor that you deserve, and we might be able to have just a little part in your mission, knowing our privilege, sharing the responsibility and being mutually accountable to each other to get this done in the day that you give us. Lord, may that be true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.